Good evening, baseball fans and music lovers around the world. I hope all is well. Uh, welcome to episode three of Rock and Roll Sinsu Chu. Uh, my name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my beloved co-host, Dennis Leach and Jonathan Getz. How are you, boys? All right. Good, good. Well, I'm glad. Good to see everybody again. Um, I uh, Starting just to, to kick things off, um, before we get into tonight's focus... We're six weeks into the season. What do you guys, uh, any any major observations so far from you guys? I just wanted to, to throw that out there. I know I'm going off script a little bit here, but um, sure. yeah. just, uh, you know, we're, we're six weeks in. You're kind of starting to get an idea a little bit. I mean, it's obviously it's still very, it's still early. I wouldn't say very early, but early. Well, um, Gabe, I, I think, I think that one of the biggest surprises is obviously what you saw coming this whole time uh for the white Sox, and uh that is the power surge that has come from uh, uh the equator we have a hitting machine down on the south side yep. he came over from cuba he didn't know yeah. anybody and now everybody i want to i want to see in the parking lot like bootleg cuban missile crisis like t-shirts <laughs> like well i mean we've got um not that this is terribly uncommon in baseball in 2014 but we've we've got four cuban guys yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we're the cuban crew man between wow. him and ramirez and diane viciato and i think alejandro deaza i think as yeah. well there's one more um yeah yeah we've we've got uh we've got a good a good cuban faction going yeah so yeah yeah but no i mean obviously yeah that's to me you guys already know what i was gonna say like <laughs> we have this this monster that suddenly emerged at first base. And you were right, Gabe. You were right. Well, yeah, I, I knew he was. I mean, most people thought he was going to be good. I mean, he was pretty coveted, you know. I mean, we we weren't the only team going after the guy. And um, I saw his numbers in Cuba, and they were like seriously like video game number. Yeah. It's like in like yeah. sixty games, the guy hit like three fifty and like thirty two homers. <laughs> like just insane, you know. Just. Like I said, like what you'd hit with Jose Canseco on RBI base, right? Yeah. Or any member of the American Dreams on um, what is it, Baseball Stars? Baseball Stars, right. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. SK yeah. for life. Man. We've got a guy that could fit on the American Dreams <laughs> roster right now. Hopefully, for sure. Hopefully, but now he's been great. Um, he's he's and been great. A, and as a the Cubs fan, I would say my biggest surprise this year. Has been the pickup from Jonathan's hometown team, the Royals. There, Emilio Bonifacio, dude. Mm-hmm. Seriously, he's turned into like a spark plug for oh, the yeah. Cubs. Just tonight, I think he's like two for two with two runs batted in, and he walked his third at bat, and I think scored then as well. So he's he's scored every time he's been up tonight, and um, his average is over three hundred. He's I, he started some new Cubs thing where all the players went like this to oh, each other yeah, and I, I it's like some did you see it did you see it something uh, like that yeah i and, didn't know uh, the significance but i yeah yeah i well i had to look it up because it was like every cubs player is doing it now so i was like what are they doing mm-hmm. yeah but, um yeah he's he's turned into a leadoff hitter that the cubs haven't had in a long time you can play him anywhere too that's that's oh, yeah. that's one of the biggest upsides, or one of the well, his offense is obviously the biggest upside right now. Right. But ultimately, one of his biggest upsides is he can do anything but catch. Basically, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the Cubs too have had um, 
you know, the record obviously I think is probably where most people predicted them to be. And the White Sox are, you know, we're good, but I'm kind of waiting for the other, the other shoe to drop to use a bad cliche. Um, uh, But uh, Rizzo and Castro have played well too. And in my opinion, those were, those were two guys that particularly Castro that needed, that need to play well this year. Yeah, so far, so far they've been doing all right, and I mean, the starting pitching has been good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been consistent. There's been a lot of quality starts. Um, They're just not giving Samarja any runs. No, Samarja, no. and tonight, right now, the Cubs are beating the Cardinals like nine to two, mm. and so and Travis Woods pitching, and so right. I'm sure Jeff Samarja's like, what the hell. Yeah, I mean, Samar just put up, like, Cy Young. I mean, granted, this is is through however it starts, but, like, he's been stellar. Yeah, he's he's been really, really good. Um, And, uh, you know, the bullpen has come around. They were pretty rocky in the beginning, but they, you know, it's just... It's happening in pockets. It's just not all happening cohesively, you know, together. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, what about, and, and what about what about over uh, in the Great Plains, Jonathan? Uh, you know, I think um, this season, uh, not surprisingly, the Royals' offense is nowhere to be found uh, on most nights. Um, uh, but somewhat surprisingly, actually, the starting pitching is is really blossomed, and um, uh, not just Vargas, the free agent pickup, uh, is yep. you know uh, pulling his weight, but uh, Jordana Ventura is is turning into a um, a stud, yeah. um, and. Uh, um, if they could score more runs for him, I mean the dude, uh, the dude would uh, have a you know much better record than just two and two. But um, yeah, I mean he's got as many averaging at least a strikeout an inning. Um, uh, his his WHIP is is, is pretty low. Um, so I mean Jordana Ventura by the end of the year could be the legit their number two, and if and if Shields goes right. in free agency. Um, after the year, the then one, then but, he could be yeah. their ace coming into next yeah. year, and that's pretty awesome because he's a young dude. And yeah, uh, um, yeah, you could you can build your rotation around that. I can't imagine right now since this is this is his, he pitched a little bit last year, didn't he? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yep. I, I I would so I'd imagine he's not. You're still paying. He's still inexpensive. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. They, they've that's, got that's him on the cheap the for a few years. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. like a feeling that if you're a fan, like you savor when like yeah. you've got a guy that's really good and he's not making. I mean, right. I'm not going to whip yeah. for anybody that's making four hundred, five hundred grand. Oh, yeah, or, he's making. You seven. Know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, you're still making like like asshole money, you know. <laughs> but like, but like, but it's such a good feeling, like you know, when you when you've got him. And, you know, he hasn't reached that big contract yet because you might not have him then. Exactly. After right. Oh, and yeah, we know that down here. Yeah. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Kansas City can sing that tune pretty well. Uh-huh. Anyway. OK, well, I wanted to get that out of the way. You know, we uh, we're, we have played uh, played a little bit of baseball so far. So um, and uh, some interesting stories emerging. But tonight, um, what I want to talk about is really um Kind of something that I've, I've I've thought about much like uh, last last episode for a little while. Um, it's it's all three of us to the viewers that are watching. Um, all three of us have very parallel taste. You know, there might be a handful of artists maybe that you know one of us digs, but one of us doesn't, or maybe we just haven't been turned on to the artist. But for the most part, like 
like 9.8% of the things that Levi likes, I'm going to like. And the same could be said for Jonathan sure. as well. Um, basically, I'm like you guys. I just like Kiss more. That's basically what <laughs> that's that's what separates us, I think. Anyway. Um, so, but I wanted to talk tonight, though, and it doesn't have to be directed at any of us, because um, I don't really think it is. Um, bands or artists and players that you like but no one else really seems to dig or maybe they just they don't like them they dismiss them um it's just one of the things that you feel like among your friends and you could even i guess bring critics into it too but mainly among your you know your sort of immediate circle think like you're you're the only one into them you know mm-hmm. or or you you might even be the only one that likes them uh so i want to talk about those uh, those players and and those um those uh those musicians uh tonight i want to we'll go ahead since we we just talked about baseball we'll we'll start there if that's okay um and then uh and then we'll we'll go on to tunes after that and then go back to baseball with uh with our baseball cards levi i'm gonna i'm gonna kick it over to you first man can you tell us about the guy that you love to hate or the guy that is misunderstood by many well i don't i don't know how misunderstood he is i mean he's in his later years, has become an open book, but um, right. that man is Jose Canseco, and he was beloved at one time in, in the eighties. He was he was a god among men, and um, you know, uh, just with everything that came out about the steroids and his whole, you know, trying to be a wrestler and then a boxer, then an MMA fighter, and just, He's also known as for the steroids thing a snitch as well. Oh yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. But it, it, and in no defense of him in any way, like that stuff wasn't going to somehow come out. Like right. he was the only one. You know what I mean? Right. He was the only one. He was the first one that did it because he needed money. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Right. If anything, feel bad that the guy needed money that bad that he was willing to do it. You know? Right. Yeah i I love the visual aids, as you guys know. <laughs> So here's my Jose nice. Canseco nice. signed 5x7 Diamond King from 1987. Nice. The the year before he was the the man known as the 4040 man. And um I I I just always as a kid I could never afford his rookie cards. I, I could I could stuff. never, you know, he, all of his stuff was unattainable. And now yeah, yeah. his 86 Donruss card, I think I have like six or seven of. <laughs> you can buy them for like a dollar or two yeah. on eBay. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I, I remember I've said, I think when we were doing the planning for this episode, that I can remember watching USA Up All Night movies with Gilbert Godfrey and Rhonda Shear. And they would be movies with him and his brother Ozzy. Oh, yeah, yeah. They would be like the most ridiculous movies. Like one was kind of like they were like Conan brothers. Oh yeah, one, I know what you're talking about. One was about. like they were, you know, one was almost like a like a like a dirty work ripoff with like Emilio <laughs> and Charlie. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 they were just awful movies, but I was enthralled by Jose Canseco as you know as that child. And yeah. like I said, in in now. You know, looking back as an adult, it, it's steroids changed the face of the game, and yeah. I, I just feel bad that he. I feel bad it. that he got labeled as the one 
It's like steroids, boom, Jose Canseco. Right. And and there's a laundry list of players that did them that have either we know about now or looking back, it's like, oh, yeah, they probably were. or And it wasn't just in baseball. It was, you know, football at the time. Lyle Alzado, all, all that, you know, the, the big guys. And I just, I don't know. I, I always felt bad that he got is, I don't know, he became kind of the martyr for it almost to an extent. And I, you know, I just think, I think it would have happened eventually. He was going to get, it, people were going to find out they were on steroids. I always wondered if there was somehow like a Tony LaRusso link to any of it because he was the manager, you know, for McGuire and, and Conseco right, then. Yeah. He was later the manager for McGuire at the Cardinals. And if you look, some of the surrounding players on both those teams were were kind of smaller guys who, after a year or two, were kind of swole. Like and... You mentioned Walt Weiss got huge. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if you anyone's know... listening to this, like, I don't yeah. want white Walt Weiss's people to call me. <laughs> no, Walt Sorry. Weiss is a bad motherfucker. No but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> I just feel bad that he took the brunt on a lot of that and it, it tanked his career. It tanked everything. But I mean, he can always say he's got two world series rings. He was like a six time all-star four time silver slugger. And I, you know, to me, I look at it. It was just as an era, a part of the game, Mm -hmm. you know, it was that, that was the time period and steroids make you stronger Physically, they don't make you see a ball better coming out of a pitcher's hand. Right. They don't, you know what I mean? The steroids don't make your wrists snap faster. It's not going to help you know, that I'm aware of. So, you know, I mean, it it takes talent to hit a baseball no matter what, whether you're on steroids or not. And, um, yeah. So, the love to hate him, Jose Canseco. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? One thing that why I still sort of like the guy. Obviously, a part of it is nostalgia. You know, I was, I was, in, I was absolutely. In, I had his T-shirt. Yeah. I had his caricature T-shirt. <laughs> oh, I used to love hand. those T-shirts. Yeah, those T-shirts are pretty glorious. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I, obviously, I, I chased after all of his cards, the ones I could afford or the ones I came across. Um, I also, uh, you know, his starting lineups. I had eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and I think ninety as well. Wow. So, Does he get yeah. bigger in the starting lineups? Yeah, right. <laughs> he actually, actually during yes, during the '89 year, they made all the guys bigger. Yeah, like the next, this, all the '88 starting lineup guys are all skinny. Yeah. You know? Kenner's yeah. like, come on, guys, we're using too many plastics oh, yeah. here. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you so, can see um, can Seiko get bigger while his testicles shrink. Right. right. <laughs> well, what, what I was going to say was, um, at least, at least, yes, it was to cash in. But at least he he admitted it, you know, that he did it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's I, better than yeah. Palmero's finger wagging, you know, at, oh, at, yeah, absolutely. at Senate hearings. You know? Or, yeah. you know, even today with Ryan Braun and that, right. you know what I mean? It, it's all these new drugs that they're not even testing for. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're it, So, you know, it's it, it's still in the game. It's been a part of the game. And I mean... He, just, he he was he was a more valiant cheater than 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 most yeah, of them. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, well I like those words. That's a great yeah, way to put very it. Very well. 
<laughs> you know, also, um, he, uh, gosh, what was I going to, he, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I've drawn a blank here for a second. Um, he, he was also in the Surreal Life reality television oh, yeah, series. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah, I forgot <laughs> which about is that. entertaining. And also, <laughs> what I, I'm sorry, this is what I just thought of. Um, have, did you guys read that piece in Deadspin, like maybe four or five years ago, about working for him, or like trying? I should say trying to chase him down to get an interview or a story. It's pretty crazy. Read it I don't know. if you haven't. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's it's from Deadspin. Right. It's it's right up there with that GQ piece that's about. If you haven't read this either, please read it about mm-hmm. working for Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that's classic. Uh, yeah. I buy it. Read both of those. They're both like just laugh out loud, entertaining reads. Yeah. And the Conseco one is Conseco is as weird and shady oh, yeah. and as Conseco as you think he is like yeah. in real life. Yeah. So, yeah. This guy from Deadspin tries to track him down for an interview for weeks and it's just, it's he's, he's surrounded by a lot of shady people. Like it's just, that's that's Jose Canseco post post baseball career. Yeah, yeah. So nice. it's, it's it's a good read. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, but anyway, so Jonathan, what about you? Do you have anyone that fits this this bill? You know, I was having a hard time with this until I thought of uh, what I grew up with, which is the Red Sox Yankees rivalry and 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 who the Yankees uh, fans despise. Um, because uh, generally, I mean, I root for the underdog. Granted, the Red Sox aren't considered an underdog anymore. But when I started liking them in, in like, 89 and 90, they were. Yeah. Um, right. But through the years and about 10 years later, uh, uh, they, you know, they got they got Pedro. And, um, and Nomar's rise as well. Right, right. And so, I, you know, I, I realized that... Uh, it's it's weird because you're on the other side of the glass and you think oh well Pedro you know he's 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 just a god among men there's no arguing that but uh, you forget uh, how much the other team might despise him for things that you forget about mm-hmm. um, uh, that might include throwing Don Zimmer to the ground at one point <laughs> <laughs> by his bald uh, head Popeye. <laughs> uh, and then further you know the whole uh, yeah the Yankees are my daddy thing. Um, even when the Red Sox were blowing out the Yankees in the 04 uh, ALCS and the comeback of the 04 ALCS, uh, Pedro wanted to come out of the bullpen and even get a you know ha- ha- you know get a piece of of the Yankees uh, in those later innings, and he he got shelled a little bit, like they chipped away at him, um, so they they yanked him uh, there. It was in the seventh or the eighth um, of that game where they were clinching. I think it was the Johnny Damon Grand Slam game, um, game seven. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I guess Pedro is that guy, um, and and I, I, I think there's there's no doubting his 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 greatness. I think many uh, many writers, uh, w- you know, put his '99 season up there with the best ever, um, and he was consistent, you know, through the, also through uh, um, his early years and uh, with the Expos and then. And then on with the Red Sox, and he was just you know dominant. Um, yeah. And he yeah, he got weird there at, at the end. You know he had that little guy with him in the clubhouse. I don't know if you remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting out there, right. <laughs> which kind of makes me like him even more. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So um, beautiful Jerry curl as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. At least the Expo yeah. years. Yeah, oh, yeah oh, I was oh, definitely. Say, I- 
there's some stadium club expos cards of his that oh, are yeah. excellent man oh yeah absolutely um him and his brother's ramon right yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. His brother had some good, good curl as well. I remember for the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, uh, some, stu- I think Studio Ninety One. Yeah. Um, Most people thought. But- I, 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 I don't know. I'd have to look at old scouting reports, but wasn't Ramon like the first one to break though? Mm-hmm. Like before Pedro, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember collecting Ramon's cards. Right. Like he was, right. he was supposed to be Me the too. next next it pitcher right you know and he was for yeah. a little bit in la he was for a little while yeah um but yeah pedro obviously goes on to you know have a top 10 all-time career uh, as a oh, starting yeah. pitcher um so yeah it was it was a tough it was a tough assignment for me to to think about who that player would have been um because uh, a lot of the times it's hard when you're on uh, you know you have the rose-colored glasses and all that uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, one of those my favorite players of all time would be Pedro, and and he's probably easily despised by uh, 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 fans throughout the league, um, not just the Yankees. So, yeah, you know, Pedro Martinez. Yeah. Anybody, you got to like anybody that goes after the Yankees like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, well, anyway, well, thank you. Those are good good choices, guys. Um as a White Sox fan, mine is is pretty easy. You know, this uh, it, I didn't have to like really do much soul searching with this one. Um, he doesn't play for the White Sox now; he plays for the Red Sox. Um, but it would be AJ Brzezinski. Um He is that guy that, and it might be kind of a cliche when you describe these guys, but sort of that person that you hate him if he's not on your team, but you love him if he's on your team. Uh, so I can see why the rest of the league didn't like him. I mean, obviously there was the incident where he punched Michael Barrett uh, <laughs> at home play. Well, yeah, and th- and that's like beating up like the kid on the short bus or something, man. Well, I want to say Barrett might have thrown <laughs> the first punch, though. Yeah, I think he was I like think AJ upset. instigated it, but Barrett yeah, like AJ punch. was instigated it, and then yeah, it's like he I don't know. AJ yeah. was saying, "Punch Mike, me, punch Michael me." Michael Barrett yes. was like the yeah. most timid right. player on the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> They were also they were also college teammates too, uh, <laughs> at Florida. Yeah, huh. so he's that guy that um, I can see why other fans despise him. You know, like if I, if I, if I now that he's on another team, um, you know, I'm kind of indifferent towards him. But his his time with the White Sox, uh, a lot, and some of that has to do with catching catching a World Series. Um, you know, it, it's my my memories of him here are pretty fond. You know, the South Side. The Southside fan base really embraced him, um, mainly because he seems like an asshole that you would run into at a bar. <laughs> but anyway, on the Southside, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry, Levi. What were you going to say? No, I, I said I was. Just, I always remember him. It seemed like whenever I would see him, he would be very clutch. Like he oh, was yeah. a very yeah. clutch situation type of hitter, and I always seemed to beat up on the Cubs yeah. <laughs> in could, more ways can, than one. He can back up, like Levi's alluding to, he could back up the, I don't know, cockiness, I guess, with with production. I mean, he's been um, kind of quietly one of the best hitting catchers of the last last 12, 10, 12 seasons now. No, really. yeah, for sure. You know, um, he's always hits for average really well. Yeah. He's had a couple seasons where he was able to, to hit for power. The power numbers kind of, but... Um, I, I mean, I think he's obviously. I, I think he's the Red Sox got him in the twilight of his career now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think he would get past uh, 
you know, he's maybe got another league or a year right. or two in the league. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's always he's always hit well too. So, in addition to uh, to sort of being that instigator and being that firecracker, he's always he's always backed it up for the most part. Terrible arm. He can't throw. He can't throw out anyone. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, like John Cruck could like steal on him. Um, but he uh, he he certainly uh, works with pitchers well. And also, this is this 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 is indicative of a trend that's happening now. But um, I'm wondering, just due to the fact that he was a catcher, and that also he sort of seems to be like the players kind of player. You know, like if he's in the dugout with you, you like him. He backs up his teammates, etc. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if he's management material. Um, you know, I it's, it seems like it would. You know, hiring him would generate a little bit of buzz too. Yeah, for like you're maybe right. A small market team. Yeah. Uh, so he would get some publicity. People would kind of expect him to say asshole things or do those types of yeah. things. So I think, I think from a marketing standpoint, like if I were. You know, if I were, I don't know, the Astros or something like that, I might look into it. Dude, if I were a beat writer, I would want to go wherever he's managing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. And and there seems to be this trend around baseball now to get these get these catchers shortly after they retire. Yeah. You know, we saw yeah. it with Girardi. We saw yeah. it with, um, he's been in the league a while now, but Mike, Mike Sosha, right. kind of. Yeah. Um, what's... Um, Osmus is managing Detroit right. now. Brad Osmus. Yeah. He's only been out of the league like two, three years. Yep. Um, Mike Redman, I think, down in Miami. Tony Pena had a stint here Tony in Kansas Pena City. for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Sandy Alomar Jr. is, you know, rumored that he's going to get a manager oh, really? yeah. soon. He's Cleveland's bench coach. The White Sox, when they got Ventura, were looking at him. Uh, okay. Um, so, so, yeah. So there's kind of a trend. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if uh, – if he would be interested in doing that, and then also maybe if he would make a good one, you know, it seems yeah. seems to me like all the pieces are in play yeah. for him to become, you know, hmm. I don't know about a good manager, but at least a, a baseball manager, yeah. I think. Sure. So we'll see. Um, he's also um, he's also wrestled semi professionally as well. Like uh, he's a huge wrestling, not like post pre career, but in the off seasons, like he's he's done stints with wrestling um i don't think it was wwe i think it was ecw maybe uh, which before it merged with wwe um yeah he's if you go on youtube you can you'll see it weird um versus kinseiko yeah and i mean all these guys all these guys that we mentioned um what i'll say about all of them is at least they have personalities oh yeah you know i mean most listen to any interview with a professional athlete yeah it's it's usually boring yeah just taking it one game at a time yeah they speak in cliches um you know it's and i don't think it's necessarily their fault i mean these guys if you're going to see a a baseball player for instance interviewed he's been bred to play baseball since he was like you know in in grade school yeah and that's really like all the dude has known (laughs) up until now is baseball so he Uh like all of us, while well, we got into hobbies and talents and whatever, like you know, they've they've kind of been on that track. Of oh yeah, that's professional it. Baseball that's player. it. Yeah. So that's probably gonna even if you're an even if you're an extrovert, that's probably gonna affect your personality somewhat. Oh, for sure. You know? yeah. 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 So so yeah, at least all three of these guys like they stick out. You know, I'm yep. I'm kind of 
I'm kind of for any professional athlete that, that stands out, you know, I, I mean, just they're, they're fun to watch. Um, and you kind of put them on a different scale, you know, it's like Brian Wilson for the Dodgers, yeah. the guy that used to play for the Giants. If I saw him at a party, I might think it's kind of contrived. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like that he's in baseball. I like it. Right. Though, just because he adds flavor right. to the game. Yeah. So we need the, uh, I don't know. We need the Consecos and the Charles Barkleys and the, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. we know that we need those people. Sports needs those people. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, well, yeah. believe it or not, that's actually a great transition into my album. Let it rip, man. Yeah. We're going to talk about albums and bands. The, um, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah. My, Go ahead, man. One of my favorite albums that I think a lot of people don't like, or dismiss as soon as they hear it is um, Terrence Trent Darby, nice. the hard, hard line of Queen Two, and, and as you said, we I way I, I like someone who has spunk, pizzazz, cockiness, yeah. if you will. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, it's the, those players. Pete Rose is like always one that came to my mind too. You know, and um, he came along with this record that I just showed in 1987. It was his debut album, and um, he ended up winning the best vocal R&B male Grammy that year. And um, spawned two huge hits: "Wishing Well" and "Sign Your Name." And just what about dance, dance, little sister, too. Kind dance of dance, right? little sister. I think was like released as a third single. I okay. think I know it charted higher. Believe it or not, the album sold I think more in the UK than it did in the US, but. Mm-hmm. Overall, it was um, it was a huge album for him, and, and um, he pretty much killed his career during oh, yeah. the press, all the press and the interviews for this first tour for this record. Um, one of the most famous interviews is, is he states that this record is the biggest record to come out since Sgt. Pepper's Lonely <laughs> Arts Club Band. <laughs> and so, you know, as soon as you say that, your career starts to go down, I think, and... Um, just he could never relive the 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 success he had with this record, but I I always just liked his cockiness and his smooth dance moves. He was like yeah. a mix of he was like a mix of like Prince and James Brown and like Robert Palmer or something yeah. like. Oh, that's... <laughs> it, 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 I just I don't know. I always just was drawn to him, man. And uh, a lot of people did not like him after. After he opened his mouth during interviews, <laughs> and you haven't really heard much from him since. No, he changed his name. It's um, I can't think of what it is. It's uh, I don't know. It sounds like a Middle Eastern name or something. My Maidanya or something hmm. like that is his hmm. his name now, and that's what he records under. Okay. And a lot of it is released in the UK, I think, because that's where he's still remained quasi popular all these years. Sure, but um. Yeah, you know it's kind of bad when you have to like change your personality, your alter ego, change your name. <laughs> he that album. Um, I I want to say like he he plays instruments too, right? I mean, didn't he? Oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean, Every record he's ever made, yeah. he's like I said, he's like Prince in that aspect right. where he produces, he arranges, he composes, and he plays everything mm-hmm. on all the records. Yeah. So I mean, he's a super super talented guy. Yeah. And it would have been nice to see another album kind of like what this first one sounded like. But mm-hmm. I think due to the success of it, it was so big that 
he wanted Brent to break away from that, to not like repeat the success of it. Sure. And you know, it, he suffered for that. Good choice, man. That's a, that's a, uh, I've got that on vinyl as well. Uh, oh yeah. It sounds yeah. fantastic. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. I'm, I'm missing out really apparently. Good, uh, really good. Like for <laughs> what it is like good. I, I, maybe it sounds a little dated now, but I like the production values on that record too. Oh yeah. I think it's really oh, well yeah. recorded. Um, yeah. Oh, Jonathan, yeah. get with the program. Darren's trip. Yeah. TTD, right. man. Who knew? And Who Levi knew? and I, you're going to be on the first tune. Levi and I are going to be swapping Terrence Trent Darby bootlegs. Yeah, good choice, man. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, do you have an album? I do, I do. Um, this I, I often have to uh, defend this album. It's from an artist we all appreciate, but um, sometimes uh, he produces records that, that uh, some people don't uh enjoy too terribly much and um it's neil young's are you passionate oh, okay. um uh are you passionate came out in like oh uh, one or oh two um uh it was post 9 11 and that's significant because you know let's roll is on there um uh which he was criticized for um you know he recorded that that song um uh, like within, I don't know, he wrote and recorded it within a week because that's what Neil Young does. Um, but no, the, I mean, because he's already written like 56 songs today. Right, exactly. <laughs> and um, he's like two time zones behind us. Right, yeah. right. Um, apparently, actually, uh, him and uh, and Jack White are going to be on Fallon. They're going to record and, and yeah, cut the record uh, uh, all in yeah. one session. So that's fun. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, one off, one copy. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like the epitome of Neil Young right there. That's that's like an onion <laughs> oh, yeah. headline Neil Young story right there. Yeah, no, yeah. If, if Neil Young could somehow make his albums come out on like old time phonographs where you got to spin <laughs> yeah, he them, would. he would do that. <laughs> but they're live at the his same time video. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like his his new video is on like Viewmaster. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> but speaking of like that's that's a good choice Jonathan because I I'm one of those people like I don't really care for that record it was one of those things like I I bought it right when it came out mm-hmm. and um, I let's just say I didn't listen to it too many times sure, you know? sure. no uh, on the beach <laughs> yeah. well no no um, I guess I mean I just found some of the tunes kind of forgettable like I wasn't I don't know go ahead I'm yeah, sorry well I, no yeah. no I and uh, uh a lot of times with with some Neil albums, you you are going to have one or two. I mean, geez, so on some quantity. albums, he <laughs> literally uses the same tune but different lyrics. I mean, right. uh, you know, it happened on "Sleeps with Angels," which is one of my all time favorite Neil Young albums. So, um, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, this was like the closest thing. Some of the tracks on here were the closest thing to Neil and Crazy Horse that had happened since, like, I think Broken Arrow came out in 96. Um, so, you know, it had been f- five or six years since Broken Arrow. Um, and then it, he was going to be recording with Crazy Horse for several more years, uh, I think when Greendale finally came out. Um, and so there was a huge gap there. And, like, this was, you know, this is this was uh, the closest that we came to that Crazy Horse sound. Um, yeah. And... And, uh, and you were talking about production value and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I mentioned it at least once a show, but the production value on here, even with some of the songs that I don't really like that much is so good that I still like to listen to it just for that, yeah. um, alone. Um, and so this is one that I always find myself defending, 
Um, though it's, I mean, this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is eternal cutout bin. Uh, Rolling Stone maybe gave it a star and a half. <laughs> well, uh, um, uh, but it's it's one I'll, I'll always defend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's as bad as some of his other records. You know, I mean, I've... I've sat and listened through trans and some of the other eighties <laughs> records. Sure. Yeah. I actually yeah. have trans autographed. It's like, I oh. have Neil Young's worst album. That's <laughs> awesome. Go figure. But yeah. I, I always, I always did feel like he took some flack for, for that. Um, let's roll right after nine 11. And, you know, it was like society was gobbling up Alan Jackson yeah. at the time. You know, it was like, where right. were you when the world stopped turning or whatever? You know, it's <laughs> and it was like a it was like, you know, a double standard, like being he wasn't in country music or anything like right. that. I guess he shouldn't have been able to do that. Right. Yeah. Right. He also saying. sang on. All and I, too, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I, I um, you know, you've I'll tell you this, Jonathan, you've convinced me to give it another listen. Um, I, uh, I, I probably haven't listened to it since two. So, uh, yeah, I think, so I, I think I, you'd be able to salvage a few things off there at least. I, I might, I'm with, with a different set of ears a little bit or a more maybe evolved yeah. set of ears. I might, it's always uh, fun to go back and do that. Yeah. Dude, at, at the Absolutely. very least, she's a healer. Last cut on here. Nine minutes. Yeah. He's always good, good for one good of those stuff. on every record, <laughs> oh, yeah, even yeah. his shitty yeah, records. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he'll give you he'll give you an over eight minute tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. God, speaking of Neil, if you if we ever do an underrated albums episode, um, I uh, I don't know if it would be the first pick, but uh, Sleeps of Angels would be up there. That's a, oh yeah, without a doubt, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty underrated record. Yeah, spooky, spooky record. Yeah, mine. You know, it was this one kind of just came to me today, and um, it's. Uh, I, I had a hard time thinking. It was easy for me to think of some bands. Hmm. Um, I, I picked one, but a, a few more came to mind. Um, but for albums, it was tougher. Um, and I think, like uh, like Jonathan, I selected an album from one of my favorite artists. Um, but it's not an album that's you know cited as a great record most people most of most critics didn't like it and i don't really think a lot of fans do as well um the album is 1976 technical ecstasy by black sabbath um that's that's and this isn't a sabbath album that i admit like i got into just a few years ago um i mean it doesn't have any singles on it um the only song that would be sort of close to a single maybe it was really single would be dirty women and they that's that's the one like they've kept in the set list like they play it still um but it doesn't it doesn't have any popular tunes on it um and i think most most people think it's sort of a blemish in their canon um because it's not that heavy you know even though they they sing about sort of the same kind of macabre things that sabbath always sings about you know um it's like set to music that isn't that heavy. Um, and I don't, I, I like, I, you know, it's an album I like, I, I wouldn't say it's one I love, but it's an album that I, I haven't heard anybody else say they like most Sabbath fans just kind of stop after, after Sabbath, bloody Sabbath, you know, mm-hmm. um, well, maybe sabotage as well. But, um, 
you could kind of see the direction they were headed in with Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath and Sabotage. Like those two albums kind of have prog flourishes to them, which is probably just evocative of the time, you know, 1973, 74. Everybody sort of for a little while was kind of sort of wanted to sound like Yes and Emerson, Lake and Palmer a little bit. Um, And I think Rick Wakeman even played on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, too. Um, But anyway. Um, Technical Ecstasy, though, if you guys haven't given it a listen in a while, I highly recommend it. I think it's got one of their it's got one of my favorite opening tracks of all time in um, uh, in Backstreet Kids. And um, that song's kind of a ripper. Um, that's that's probably the most rocking song on the album. And, and the rest of the album really is a little more mid tempo and ballads. Um, but to me. The fact like I really I really like Sabbath um, or I really think one of the things that makes them a great band is is when they when they don't play heavy just as when they do. And I don't think that side of their career really gets um, gets the respect that it, it, it deserves. Um, you know, they took some chances as well. In 76, they were still a pretty huge band. You know, I mean, they were oh, yeah. they were they were an arena band, you know, yeah, at I was going to say they're playing stadiums. Yeah, playing stadiums, playing in arenas. Um 1976, they were going through personal turmoil. I mean, Ozzy, Ozzy and Bill Ward had really started to go off the rails at that point. Actually, bad play on words. They were on rails, I think. I think they were doing rails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off the rails. There were lots of rails involved. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, they, so 76, they were a huge, a huge band, um, but, and they put out this album that really, you know, really took a chance and it, it really didn't, it didn't pay off. Um, I mean, they still remained a, t- a really big touring act up until Ozzy left in, uh, in, in 1980. Um, but uh, this album and then the next one too, which I'm not, I'm not going to expand on. Cause I, I, I thought about it too, but I don't think it's as strong overall. Never say die uh, is the, uh, the other album. Those are kind of like the two forgotten Ozzy records, you know, they were still huge when they put them out. Um, but, uh, those, those two albums don't have any singles on them and they, they just don't get the attention. They don't really, aside from dirty women, they don't play any of those tunes live. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's almost, it's like prog metal, but it's, it's even got sort of a kind of a polished feel to it at times. It's just, it's a really interesting record, um, from a band that is, uh, is uh is doing a good job of of trying something different i don't know if like they pull it off on every track on the record but um it uh it, it, it i like the ballsiness of it you know they oh yeah i i agree with you there are times and i mean if it if it wasn't such a distinctive voice and ozzy singing yeah there are times where you would be like this is black sabbath oh yeah yeah which i like that you know i, I like yeah. that they threw me these curveballs um and, and yeah, and so if you guys haven't listened to it in a while, um, turn up the first song. Good God. Um, uh, yeah. And, um, Backstreet Kids is just a ripper. And it uh, it's sort of like almost kind of uh, like Ozzy's homecoming song. You know, I mean, he was he was a tramp, you know, like he was a he was a just a dirty working class little yeah. shit, you know, just Cockney. just yeah. snot nosed asshole, <laughs> you know, just wrong side of the tracks, chip on your shoulder, whatever other cliche you want to use, you know, he was that kid. And then in Backstreet Kids, he writes the song about being that kid. <laughs> and, and I always thought, um, and I'll, I'll stop here in a second. I always thought um, as a lyricist, he was always underrated 
because there is all the dark stuff that uh, I mentioned earlier and the things, sort of the themes that you think of when you think of Black Sabbath. But to me, much like Pete Townsend, I compare Ozzy a lot to, to Pete Townsend about the, what they were writing about. They were writing about being sort of disillusioned, working class British kids. Mm-hmm. And Townsend did that probably better than anybody else. Yeah. But Ozzy did it really well, too. Um, you know, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't get the credit for it. Um, but uh, he uh, he should he should be mentioned in there. One of the more uh, one of the better sort of working class songsmiths, you know, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Yeah. Hmm. So. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. 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 So uh, anyway, good stuff, guys. Really good stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll stick with music here um, and uh, and then we'll cards. Um, Jonathan, do you want to start this one off as far as because we, we had to choose an album. And then we also had to choose a band that right. you know, fit the same criteria, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, the band's a little bit different because some of these bands aren't maybe bands, some of our favorite bands. But anyway, I'll let yeah. you uh, go well, ahead and take over. Yeah, and so I think um, uh, for me it was it was hard as well because I like to think the music I listen to is pretty universally <laughs> reputable and you know agreeable <laughs> that it is quality. Uh, but what I what I settled on um, uh, anyway what what I settled on was was somebody who I I believe is at the very least uh, hugely underrated though critically acclaimed at the same time um, but he's more critically acclaimed for kind of his early stuff than what I really like which is his later stuff and that's uh, Connor Oberst uh, 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 Bright Eyes and also his his uh, own other projects um, and uh, I. I got Casadega, um, his record, uh, his Bright Eyes record from, gosh, that may have been almost 10 years ago now. Um, it's one of my top 20 records of all time. I mean, the mm-hmm. stuff he's doing, uh, both musically and lyrically, I mean, it's, he kind of has this, um, reputation early on. He had this reputation of, you know, singing about being dumped over and over again. And we saw him actually open up for Wilco, and I think that was o two or so in Boulder, Colorado, and and he was singing about being dumped, um, and and so it wasn't a huge impression then. But um, when I picked up Casadega, uh, I I realized, wow, this is uh, this is some really impressive stuff, and uh, you know his production is always solid, uh, even his his side stuff um, with Outer South, uh, the Outer South record is amazing i mean it's that that band rocks uh uh i saw them uh they uh they played at the beaumont here in kansas city a few years ago uh and it was awesome i mean i yeah it was like all these girls screaming and then me screaming but um (laughs) uh but no he's he's really interesting he's one of the better political songwriters uh of the past 10 uh 15 years uh, he's, he wrote that song about the Arizona sheriff, right? Yeah, yeah, Joe Pyle, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah he's, I've, I've seen those lyrics. Those are yeah. He's he he definitely uh, he he made contact with that one. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. Uh, sometimes he, he he doesn't mince words, um, but at yeah. the same time, um, he could if he wanted to. You know, he could be more elegant if he wanted to, but he picks those times to uh, he picks those moments uh, to be more you know, straight on and right. just to, you know, kind of tell it how it is. Uh, 
And so he he kind of has a couple gears in that sense. And then I mean his his song crafting uh, is just phenomenal. And uh, uh, so so yeah, and, and he, it's my impression he has this reputation as more being you know kind of a eighty uh, uh, percent female fan base sort of thing. Um, mm. But yeah, he's he's come a long long way, and uh, I think uh, he gets shortchanged a lot because of that early reputation. He's come a long way, and I don't know if I'm am I mistaken. Has his popularity kind of suffered for it a little bit? Well, um, I, I mean, I, mean, I imagine I, I feel that... like the buzz has died down. Oh, for sure, but, for sure. But um, that, when that doesn't take away anything, uh, right. I saw him with uh, the Monsters of Folk. Uh, oh long, yeah, yeah. Been a few years ago, and yeah, I I don't know that much about him, but I dug what he was selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'll uh, yeah, like I said, Casadega, uh, top twenty all Casadega. time, easy. I'll have to cool. Yeah, I'll check it out too. Check I, it out. Yeah, I don't think I have it. Hmm, I don't think so. I, I sold a lot of Bright Eyes records while being in the record shop and that Monsters of Folk album. I just never really. Him and Ryan Adams are two people I need to go back and like mm-hmm. kind of school myself yeah. on their catalogs. Yeah. Because I don't love know cold, a lot of. Levi, you'd love Cold Roses. You'd love yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's, okay. it's like. It's like it's like the album, like the 1970 Grateful Dead never recorded. Okay, it's like cool. it's like American. It's like listening. To well, American. yeah, I, I'll yeah. say Ryan Adams stole or uh, Chris Robinson stole Neil Casal yeah. away from him, kind of. And yeah. he does. He lends a kind of a Grateful Dead vibe to Chris Robinson Brotherhood. I saw Ryan Adams at uh, at Lollapalooza back in like 06 or 07. He did Warfrat, dude. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. Um, so uh, Levi, what about you, man? What's uh, what's your um, artist this was tough but i th- i had originally thought of these guys first when it first and then i went in kind of circles in my head thinking of who else i could pick and i just kept coming back to these guys and that is um a group out of the late 80s or and they're called the spin doctors <laughs> and because nice. nice. i when i when i was faced with this question it, it, the first thing that came to my mind was kind of like, it, it's your guilty pleasure. What's one of your sure. guilty pleasure artists? And they are in that pocket full of kryptonite on CD. And um, I bet I have a copy of each car because you can find it at any garage sale in the United <laughs> yeah. States. Yeah. And, um, it's been in my garage sale. I never even owned I just, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The, uh, it, they started in the late 80s as a band called The Trucking Company, and John Popper was actually in the band. Him yeah. and Chris Barron were friends in high school in New Jersey, and John Popper decided to leave and start this group called Blues Traveler, as everyone knows. And um, the Spin Doctors was formed out of what was left of The Trucking Company. And they were out of the New York wetlands scene, right. or the sweatlands, as John uh, were known as like a jam band. Like mm-hmm. they would play long extended jams live. And they had the studio album come out in 91, as I mentioned, called Kryptonite, that just blew up. It was huge. NBA minutes or stages, I think they were in. They hooked onto it. It just, the video for Little and uh, Two Prince. 
references. It, the, these songs were shoved down your throat. You heard them in the Kmart. Yeah. You heard them at the grocery store. You heard them at the gas station. They were just, they were Ubiquitous. all surrounding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. And the the numbers, the numbers are there, man. They sold 5 million copies. It went, it went platinum. 5 million in the U.S. and another 5 million worldwide. Pay some bills for a few years. So they sold copies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so they just, you know, as a lot of bands do, kind of just faded away. The second album, studio album, couldn't live up to the first one, although it sold, like, I think, two million copies. Much much and, like, we talked about this, too, much like Blues Traveler, when they got popular, they lost their jam band following. Exactly. The, it, the same exact thing happened. Yeah, well, and, you know, not one song on that record i think is over like seven minutes or something you know so i you know it's hard to please those two crowds a a pop sensible society and a jam band crowd are aren't usually gonna meld that like that and so it it did so absolutely right it was pre-bonnaroo but they they did they were pioneers in that they were one of the first bands along with blues traveler and widespread panic to start horde in 92 right right. and so i mean they were kind of pioneers in that essence they knew festivals were going to be popular a big a big scene it's just you know, they just couldn't keep it together. As a lot of my favorite bands, yeah, taste the demise of them. Tastes are and fickle, I, you know. I oh mean, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. There, if you go back and listen to it, though, there's some well-crafted songs. And granted, there's some like really kitschy songs, like the the "What Time Is It?" I don't know if you guys <laughs> yeah, right, have heard that song. Right. What time is it? Right, Four thirty. Right. Yeah, even the video. It's pretty literal. Like the video's yeah, got all yeah. these clocks in it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 the clocks say 4.30. They're like, uh, right. so I guess, I guess that meant it was 10 minutes after 4.20, so they must have been feeling pretty good. I don't know. That guy always they, uh, looked really high. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. He, he always no, looks I, really stoned. I don't think he. it was just looks. I think he right. really was. Yeah. But, yeah, they were, they're definitely my biggest guilty pleasure band by far. Good choice, man. Good choice. Um, mine, this... Um, Levi had mentioned an artist, Terrence Turner and Darby, that made a Beatles comparison earlier, and mine, mine probably made one of the more infamous Beatles comparisons right at really the height of their popularity, really in like the mid '90s. Um, this is a band that I went as far as to make a mixtape for our friend Michael Davis, and I called the tape "This Band Sucks," like Oasis sucks. And if there's anything I could take back, it would be that. Because, like most people, in 1995, I saw them and I just saw assholes. You know, I mean, that's that's what I saw. And and they were immensely popular. And I think probably just being angsty and young, if if it got really popular, I pushed it away. You know, or I, I you know, I dismissed it unfairly. Um, and uh, that kind of changed for me when Oasis got paired with the Black Crows on that 2001 uh, Brotherly Love Tour. I, I rolled my eyes when I heard the announcement. You know, I think most people were kind of... The, the reaction, at least across the Black Crows fan community, was was pretty negative. You know, nobody was really too excited about it. Um, but in me, they won over a fan. 
You know, I saw them, and fortunately, I got there early enough to catch all of their set too. I saw it at Deer Creek that the, on that tour, and uh, you know, I was just like, I, I knew. Obviously, I knew they had to have they had to have influences that I liked. You know, just you know, they're they're British to the max, so obviously, all of the British God bands, particularly the Beatles, influenced them. Uh, but I didn't know I didn't know that. Um, that Noel was such a good guitarist until I saw him live. Um, you know, I just hadn't really paid much attention to that. And he just, he plays that really big Epiphone and just gets a really good sound out of it. Um, and, uh, I don't know. They also had Zach Starkey on drums when I saw them and he's a hell of a drummer. Um, if you obviously his, he's got the lineage, but, um, you know, I, I'd seen him play with the who, uh, on a couple occasions prior to that. So I knew, I knew where I was getting there. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously I sounds like a geek, but I, I value Chris Robinson's opinion, you know, and I, he always dug him. He always had good things to say about him. So like, I, you know, I was like, all right, so I'll, I gave it a chance and I really, I've liked him ever since, you know, I've, I've bought ever since that show, I've bought their albums as they've been released. Um, and, uh, I dig them, and I think their their latter work, the the last three albums that they put out. If you guys haven't given those a chance, uh, give them give them a listen. Yeah. Uh, starting with Heathen Chemistry yeah. from O2, and then um, they got an album called Don't Believe the Truth, and then their last one before they went on hiatus was called Dig Out Your Soul, or is called Dig Out Your Soul, and they're really um, they're kind of like they're psychedelic pop, you know, with with good hooks. Mm-hmm good guitar parts um they know how to use feedback sparingly but effectively you know um and uh like we talked about with our players like doesn't every scene need a couple assholes you know i mean yeah, yeah. I, I i i yeah they they if, if someone is self-aware enough to admit they're an asshole and those guys sound like they would be the first two people to admit they're assholes you're fine in my book, you know, yeah. like oh, if yeah. you can, if you can own up to being a dick, oh, yeah. whatever, you know, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I saw that tour as yeah. well. And I, I came away kind of the same way. I was, yeah. I was impressed with them. They put on a really good show and I can't remember if I was in St. Louis or Chicago. I can't remember where I saw them, but I want to say was space hog an opener yeah, for them yeah. maybe as well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that was a great show with space i got there early enough to see space hog because i had a friend who granted and i don't hardly see this person or talk to him anymore but the same guy he turned me on to space hog and he turned me on to gomez like space hog you know would have been 97 he turned me on to yeah. him when they yeah. came out and then me on to gomez with liquid skin in 99 and it was a overall great show, and I think, like you said, I Chris always connected with them because it was like the the two brooding brothers sure. type of thing, and they felt like a kinship there easily. Right. And it was a really good tour. And yeah. I, I'll admit, I was in the same boat as you, Gabe. I think yeah. I would have probably owned What's the Story, Morning Glory back in the day if I would have gotten over my like, you know, to you know, I it, I couldn't like it because was too popular type yeah. of thing yeah and i i kind of felt that way going back about you know it's off topic but the first no doubt record the tragic kingdom one that came out i hated them 
you know, just because they were so popular at the time. Right. But I've gone back and listened to some of that record, and it's not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. It's when you give it a new, just I don't know, maybe it's aging, fresh or listen, fresh listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I could I could list quite a few bands like that that I you wouldn't catch me listening to in the mid '90s, but I I have a, an appreciation for now. Um, yeah. So with Oasis, um, yeah, I, I really I dig what they do, and I, I dig their later work too. Um, so uh, I, I guess I'll I'll end by advocating for those last three records, starting with Heathen Chemistry. Give them a chance if you uh, if you haven't heard those, they're right. they're good. You'll see me right, listening on audio. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and, and reveal our cards. I have a card. Um, I didn't have one last time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go first tonight um, because I, I I offered a card up. I gave you an idea, but I didn't have the actual right. physical card at hand. This guy probably has one of the most badass, not only baseball names of all time, but just period names. So strictly based on nomenclature. The guy's name is Razor Shines, okay? Wow. Razor ah. Shines. Yes, from the Expo. Nice. Whoops. This is an 86 Tops. Yep. Okay, yeah. I've always I always like this card, this design. Oh yeah, great yep. great card layout. Mhm. And um Razor didn't play very long. He really only, over the course of 3 seasons or 4 seasons, he only played in like 70 games. So, um, and it was all with Montreal in a couple different stints. Um, so he didn't have much of a career, but his name is awesome. Um, and also he was, um, I believe he was the, let me confirm this here. He was the Mets third base coach, uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Oh, nine. Yeah. Oh, nine. So he's, he's still Mets in the game. Third base coach, 09. Yeah, so, nice. uh, nice. so Razor yeah, shines. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Razor Shine yeah, strictly based on, on his name. Cause you, uh, you, uh, you have a name like that. It's a good looking card, man. Yeah. I always liked the Expos logo too, man. They had, oh, yeah. they had clean, clean looking uniforms and clean mm. logos and yep. stuff, man. Oh, yeah, yep. dude. absolutely. Cool. Good stuff. So yeah, Razor Shines for me, 86 tops. Um, Levi, nice. what about you, man? This is a 1982 Topps Ryan Sandberg rookie card. Nice. And well, I could I'll... never, ever, ever afford this card as a child because, like, at one time, I think it booked over, like, $100 in Beckett. And for the kids out there, Beckett was a book that you physically looked up the prices of baseball cards in <laughs> because they actually were worth more than the cardboard they were printed on at one time. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, whole industry built this card it was it was super elusive at the time even though you know if you rounded them all all up nowadays there are probably five million of them that they printed but um i always wanted it as a kid always wanted it along like i said with like the conseco 86 donruss the 85 usa olympic mcguire (laughs) that was always a tough one um i always wanted the bo jack it was like one of the first insert cards it was like the bo jackson Oh, the black, black and white, and white photo. photo. He's got yep. the, the, he's got the football pad pads oh, and the and the yeah. bat behind us. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh man, that was a score. It was that was a score. Yeah, insert. Yeah, yeah. So that's my card. My nice. I finally got it now that I'm nice. Years old. <laughs> well done. Um, well, mine's actually three and one. 
Um, it's a uh, 1988 Bo Jackson Sport Flick. Um, Sport Flick. <laughs> so uh, okay, so it's a it's a headshot and then swinging and fielding, or is it? No, it's it's a headshot and uh, mid swing. Then um, uh, as the ball approaches, and then the uh, swing follow through. So yeah, obviously oh. it's a little bit harder to see oh. on on there. Um, uh, so I guess this is like the first animated GIF. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, um, but I, I remember uh, you know buying these. You would only get what like like four in a pack, five in there's, a pack, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's yeah. Thick cards. Cards. like six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so. They, and I don't, I don't even think they made everybody like like they just made some of the better players, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, um, though like, I do, I have to find it though. Um, so it might be a later edition. Uh, my 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 card of of the week is um, I, I think it's a it's a Randy Johnson on the Expos sport flick. Um, so it was early. Maybe I made this up. Maybe I dreamt it. But I think I have a Randy Johnson on the Expos sport flick. <laughs> Yep. Nice. Comb in the brain for uh, what was a sports flicks. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the players that would have one. You know? Right, right. Ripken, a, I, Boggs, Ripken, Ripken, Sandberg. I know had one. Dawson. Well, even and this, believe it or not, I think. No, go ahead. This is this is 148. This is card number 148. Yeah. So they made okay. a significant amount in a set. Yeah, I know there was a Sean Dunstan. I remember there was a Sean yeah. Dunstan. Shawan. Yeah, yeah, the Shawano meter. Yeah, he was good yeah. enough to get a like a premier card. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Were, those were great cards, man. It was always tough to try and get like a full set of them because not all the stores oh, I can never carried them. It. You didn't yeah. see them yeah. like everywhere. Yeah. 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 No way you could afford that. Yeah. Is it just me, Levi, or is, is Jonathan like on pause? His his, uh, <laughs> his shot is he, or is it is it yeah. just me? It must no? just be you. He's, my, my, okay, be you. It's he's movie. Live, okay. I got live for me, action. For me, he's got like an excellent pulse. He's like, like this. <laughs> okay, now it's now it's now it's done. Okay, right, good, yeah. good. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out in the end. Anyway, good stuff, guys. Well, hey, man, I think that concludes an episode of um, episode three. So good work all around, boys. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's do it again soon. Right on. Yeah. All right, fellas, have a good night, and uh, rock and roll since you chew. Keep up that on-base percentage.